0: Hi, this is Joe Chambers. Welcome to Musicians Hall of Fame Backstage. Today's guest is multi-Grammy winning Country Music Hall of Fame inductee, phenomenal singer and guitarist, Emmylou Harris. Hope you enjoy what you see. If you do, be sure to hit like, subscribe, and the notification bell so you don't miss any of our new content. And for those of you who can help, we now have a Patreon account. Again, Emmylou Harris. Welcome back to Musicians Hall of Fame Backstage with Amy Lou Harris. Emmy, thank you again so much for coming.
1: Oh, I'm glad to. I always love to visit the Musicians Hall of Fame, Joe, so I'm happy to be here.
0: Thanks. Um, so, as always, we always want to know how did you get started? What made you want to be a musician? Right. Was it Somebody in your family was a musician already, or did it just... Well, no,
1: it just kind of came out of nowhere. And in fact, uh, apparently, people thought I was musical. I mean, I could carry a tune, and I did a few things in, like, kindergarten. I sang something or something. And so they thought I should learn piano. I, I just didn't relate to the piano. I hated... I didn't have a knack for it. I didn't like rehearsing. And then when I got into... Um, High school, um, I was uh, in the marching band uh, and the and the uh, uh, orchestra, playing the saxophone, the alto saxophone. Uh, but it, once again, I was just doing it like any other, like you take math or you take history. You know, there was no uh, emotion there. And then um, in high school, uh, around 63, 64, there was. Um, a folk revival, folk music revival. And um, I was living in Woodbridge, Virginia. My, my father was, uh, which is about 25 miles south of Washington, D.C. My father was stationed in Quantico uh, in the Marine Corps. And I could get this station from um, uh, WAMU from American University. This wonderful disc jockey named Dick Seary, who played folk music. And, There was just something about that music that I'd never ever wanted to really play an instrument and I wanted a guitar. And my grandfather bought me a $30 K from a pawn shop in Birmingham, Alabama. That's where they lived. Um, And uh, even though it was very difficult to play, it was a, uh, had very high action, $30 K, you can imagine. But I didn't know the difference. I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be difficult to play and make your fingers bleed. And so I just would sit around and learn everything I could. I had nobody to teach me anything. Um, but I managed to learn three chords, which is about all I still know. Um, but there was something about, I think the lyrics had a lot to do with it. There were story songs. I'm still kind of drawn to that. Um, it, it it got me into music, uh, the way all those other instruments. I think it's because I could accompany myself singing. Can't do that on a saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that was it. I started actually and and singing songs that meant something to me. Um, those story songs, even though, you know, a lot of those folk songs they have nothing to do with be your own particular history at the age of 16. But there's something about the human condition in a good song that even if you haven't experienced yet, I think it resonates. It resonates somewhere that you have a certain barometer that you know that something is true, even if maybe you hadn't haven't had actual experience with it. So so that was uh, where uh, music became a very, very important in my life, even though I, I wanted to be an actress at that point. I was going to go to school to study drama. Um, music quickly took over. Folk music quickly took over, though.
0: Do you still have your $30 harmonica? I do.
1: <laughs> I still, I actually still have that $30 K. Um, really? Yeah. Is it is it
0: not in a museum anywhere?
1: I think uh, it was in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Uh, Uh, Had it when they did that display on me. You want it?
0: Yeah, I think it'd be great Um,
1: (laughs) Why not? Okay, it's a deal (laughs) Crocker he gave me his first I mean this thing is like I mean it's like got a neck like a baseball bat, you know I mean it's that I don't know how I But I actually performed on it for a while. I mean, you know maybe at high school I actually um, uh, with babysitting money and uh, help from my parents, I actually bought um, a Gibson J50, which is, for the money, is still maybe one of the best guitars you can have. And uh, that was the guitar that I took to college with me. But, you know, my mother kept that $30 K and I, I still have it.
0: Cropper's dad, last thing he bought him was, um, and I don't even know how, to, what model it is, but it's a small parlor style Gibson yeah. that that's what he learned on, that's how Yeah, home, but it know. was
1: still a Gibson. It was still a this Gibson. Was a, and not like Kay, I mean, I've, I've heard that the Kay uh, acoustic basses are really great, yeah. you know, and I'm sure that maybe there's some, and of course this means, uh, it's sentimental to me because my grandfather, yeah. you know, bought it for me at a pawn shop, because we didn't know what we were looking for.
0: <laughs> no, you know, that's, that's, that story is so, runs, runs through so many people's, stories is because they had the same thing. They had, yeah. they had a, a K or Silverton or something like that. And the, um, the action was so high they couldn't, they literally bled, you know? They, you well, know. And, and it should have been probably a slide guitar. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it for a slide. It's not that high. I, I exaggerate a little bit. But it was pretty difficult.
0: So you were born in Birmingham, right?
1: I was born in, my mother's from Birmingham. Uh, and uh, my father. Uh, well, they traveled all over. He was born in New Jersey, but um, um, they, uh, they met d- during World War II. He was in officer training school in Pensacola, and she was on a, um, um, just an outing with a couple of girlfriends uh, f- from Birmingham. Everybody went to Pensacola, and they met. Uh, it was love at first sight. They didn't know a thing about each other. They eloped, and here I am.
0: So, uh, what got you from like, Birmingham to... What was your next step? To California,
1: or...? No, no, there's so much in between. Because my father, you know, being in the Marine Corps, uh, we were at Cherry Point in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and I went to college in North Carolina. I, um, I ended up going to Virginia. I quit school when I realized I didn't really want to be an actress, and I wasn't very good at it, but I love singing. And so... Um, I made a foray to Virginia Beach to, uh, to work to earn money, to go to New York, uh, trying to be Joan Baez. I ended up being a waitress, and uh, uh, eventually uh, ended up in, in DC. My, by that time, my parents had uh, uh, moved to Maryland, where um, he, my father had left the Mar- had retired from the Marine Corps. And he had family in Maryland, in that area between DC and Baltimore, an an agricultural area uh, before it got really overdeveloped. They had a nice little house there. And um, I had had, uh, um, my first marriage had failed, and I had a, a child, a daughter. And I just basically went home to try to figure out what to do. I didn't think music was, Fortunately, there was a wonderful uh, musical um, family happening in Washington D.C. And through friends there, uh, Bill and Taffy Danoff, uh, who wrote um, "Take Me Home, Country Roads" with John Denver, I got to know them before they they wrote that song. And they were playing in the local clubs there. They got me work there. And uh,
0: was that where you first performed in front of anybody?
1: Oh no, I'd been performing in Virginia Beach. I'd been performing in New York.
0: Uh, did you do the village thing? Oh,
1: yeah, I did the, villi- the village thing. I started in the basket houses. And uh, I ended up uh, being kind of the house opener for Gertie's Folk City. I survived on $100 a week. Back then, you could do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, rent was, I had, had a cheap apartment. And it uh, didn't take much to get by. And that's where you really get your chops, playing for people that didn't come to hear you. Right. But in a place that, that people would listen. I've also played places where people don't listen. Mm-hmm. But I think that's important too. Yeah. I mean, you got to hold your own and and not get your feelings hurt if you know nobody's listening to you. That's as important as the times when you've got everybody's attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a lot under my belt at the uh, you know, ripe old age of 23 or 24. And uh it it was uh I met Graham and um uh when he, he came to that area. That's how everything kind of took off from me from that point.
0: How did you meet Graham? Um,
1: the burritos uh, had, were playing in, in, without Graham. You see, he, he had left them. They were playing in, um, uh, they were playing at a, uh, the, the cool club uh, uh, in Georgetown, the cellar door. Uh, they came into where I was playing to get a drink after their show and heard me, uh, and I was doing like one country song, <laughs> almost for a joke. Uh, it wasn't God who made Honky Tonks Angels. And they actually um, thought, you know, I might have something. And I sat in with them one night while they were at the cellar door. Um, they moved on to a concert a few days later up in Baltimore. And it just so happened that Brian, that, um, that Graham and, uh, uh, Gretchen, uh, his young wife, his new wife, had come in uh, and sat in. And uh, in the inc- conversation after the show that um, Chris Hillman and Graham were having, uh, Graham said he was looking for a girl singer. I mean, this all sounds incredible. And uh, they remembered me. They didn't remember my name, and they didn't remember my. They didn't have my phone number, but. There was a young woman working for the, produ- for the producer of that concert backstage who babysat for my young daughter. And she knew they were talking about me. And so <laughs> she gave, she gave uh, Grandma my phone number, and he called me the next day.
0: Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It was meant to be.
1: Well, you, you, you would have to say that, wouldn't you? So, so that's why I'm here tonight talking to you,
0: yeah.
1: Joe, if I hadn't been a, a single mother.
0: Well, hey, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back.
1: Hey, Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum Backstage fans.
2: Check out our new backstage gear. From t-shirts to coffee mugs, we've got you covered. Not yet a fan? Check out our YouTube channel and enjoy some intimate conversations with the world's
0: best musicians. Welcome back to Musicians Hall of Fame with Amy Lou Harris. So, the. That was an incredible story. I mean, what <laughs> happened after after you guys looked up, you know?
1: Well, I mean, you know, he we made the records and we went on a road together and Graham died, you know, uh, one of those terrible fatalities. I mean, he was only 26 and died of, died of a drug overdose. So I was kind of left. He had gotten me all interested in loving country music and so i went from being a folk singer you know thinking that drum drums you know were evil and to loving being you know having a band and um i put a little band together in dc cuz um uh I, I knew some musicians there the fellow who had played ba- bass for me in my um in my little folk trio tom gaidara um we were actually a couple at the time we were we were living together and playing music together and he was incredibly helpful. We, we he knew I needed to put a band together, so he was going to play bass, and we 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 gleaned from from the local musicians a, a pretty good little band that we called Angel Band, and just started playing clubs. Around, um, and um, my Grams manager, uh, Eddie Tickner, well. Graham was still alive, and while I was on the road with him, uh, Eddie had... Uh, we had decided that Eddie would manage me, and at some point I thought, I'll probably make a record on my own. Um, but that was something for... I, I was really... I was so intense on learning country music and singing with Graham and the duets and everything. Um, I felt like it was just the beginning of where I was going, but, of course, when Graham died, it, it just was a... a Re, you know, rethinking everything. Um, but but Eddie, uh, Eddie got in touch with um, uh, Mary Martin, who was um, head of A&R at uh, Warner Brothers, which was Graham's, uh, Graham's label, and brought her to hear me. And she liked what she heard. Well, she's a Canadian, and uh, she was great pals with Brian Ahern another Canadian who was having great success with Ann Murray and uh, So um, a team was kind of put together, you know, she put put Brian and I together uh, and Eddie and because I had uh, a, a Producer with track record who wanted to produce me that is what led to me being able to get my own record contract You see
0: was married Located here in Nashville uh, at that time? Well
1: no, she it took her a long time to get to Nashville. She's here now. But uh, no, uh Mary was in New York. Uh and uh and then she eventually uh uh moved out to LA. It, uh but then she's like a lot of us that did that east coast, west coast and then Nashville, we've ended up here in Nashville. It's like there's this magnetic force that has brought us all here. Um, So really, I was so lucky, because I I really, looking back on it, I think that, that Brian was the one producer who could have taken me at where I was at that point, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I discovered this love of country music, but I had kind of a folk voice and I was still, and it, to me, had so much to learn without my sort of teacher, Graham, uh, but so wanted to continue on somehow on this road. Uh, and Brian uh, was just the perfect person to, to, to guide me and give me that confidence in the studio, because it's totally different making a record in the studio from singing live. Mm-hmm. I mean, singing live, I was, I was getting pretty confident with that, you know, uh, so with fronting my own band because I had a great little band and um, you just have to go out and play. Uh, and um, But making a record, I mean, a record like that, because I'd done the records with Graham, but I was, there was no pressure. I was a harmony singer, you know, all the pressure was on Graham and so um, it was a perfect, a uh, place for me to be an apprentice, so to speak. But now, you know, it, it was on me. And uh, Brian has a way as a producer, he says he's invisible and he is in a way, but somehow you know that he sees the whole picture and he picks up on every little thing that's going on. And you also know that if, if anything starts to go awry, that he's gonna be there to set, set it right. Um, I was just so lucky to be able to work with someone in the beginning of my career that way. And then uh have the uh record company of uh Warner Reprise back then and a wonderful manager, uh Eddie Tickner, between Eddie and Brian. Uh and um after the record came out and it did better than I expected or anyone. I don't mean it was a million seller, but back then record companies really paid attention to when maybe some there was something going on over here that was unusual. Um, they were able to get the record company to pay for Elvis Presley's basically a core from Elvis Presley's band to go out with me. Uh, Glendy Hardin, James Burton um, were mainly it Emory Gordy who. Fantastic bass player, so I had some of the best musicians in the world in my band, Um, and then we had a great drummer, John Ware. Uh, Hank DeVito was one of the young, young uh, steel players. He he was one of those uh, of my generation who started on the Telecaster, and after uh, "Sweetheart of the Rodeo" or or uh, or you know the first Burrito album came out, Mm -hmm. a lot of those 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 young uh, players thought, what is this instrument, the pedal steel? And uh, that was Hank, and um, I was able to find Hank. And and uh, a real important piece, too, was Rodney Crowell. Yeah. And that was because of Brian, because Brian had signed him to a publishing deal. And um, that's how I met Rodney, and that's how he ended up in my band. It was a. It was like the stars aligned, the personalities of all of us and what we were doing at that time. And we were able to do it at a time when nobody was really paying attention. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like we had this huge hit record.
0: Right.
1: We were able to go out and play those clubs. Um, and of course, I, I, they had to front me because there was no way I could afford to play a band like that at yeah. that point. But that was when record companies believed in you and they would say, okay, we're gonna front this because we think that there's something there and 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 we're and and i had all these amazing things people and uh, happening at a time that that i was just so fortunate you know to have the record company i had to have the manager i had the producer that i had the band that i had um all supportive of me and encouraging me and and giving me that confidence with each step, with each song we recorded, with each show we played. Um, um, just n- knowing that I had this t- team around me. Somebody had your back. Somebody had my back and my front and my sides and everything mm-hmm. else. Um, and we were having fun. Mm, yeah. You know, and I was learning, I was learning how to, Make records, um, and and um, it was it was it was it was great. I mean, I'm still benefiting from uh, having that st- st- sort of incredible uh, repertoire of people around me in those early days.
0: Did you were you writing songs
1: at that time? I, I had written Bur- Boulder to Birmingham, and uh, that was the only song I'd written <laughs> since. Um, when I was in New York early days, I had had a, a record contract with um, um, Jubilee Records, uh, um, and um, Ma- Morris Levy, who pretty notorious criminal in the music business, it was his record label, um, and which we had done in like three days, and I had written most of the material on it. There. They're not bad songs. Um, They're you know, kind of uh, Joni Mitchell, sounding melodies and stuff. Because once again, I hadn't, I don't feel I really ever found my voice till I started working with Graham, singing with Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but no, I, I had not been writing songs. So, um, but I'd written Boulder to Birmingham, which was uh, in response to Graham's death.
0: Who picked your songs in? How, was that a thing that you relied on, Brian, or did you oh, have an input? I,
1: I pretty much have been a song picker. <laughs> I don't pick the guitar, but I'm a song mm-hmm. picker. And um, I have a pretty good ear. I think it's from coming through folk music, because the lyrics are so important in folk music. Um, but but we did share. Uh, Brian could suggest a song. But basically, I I relied on on... I'm surrounded, I was surrounded by incredible songwriters, Rodney. I, I knew towns from, from opening for him in Gertie's mm-hmm. in New York, so I, I was aware of all his songs. Um, so you got uh, kind
0: of first pick,
1: Adam? I got first pick of Rodney, for sure. He would play every time, when we were living in New York, I mean in uh, L.A., uh, in those early days, uh, he'd finish a song, and he'd, I'd be the first person he'd play it for. I'd get first crack. And, um, and of course, he introduced me to a Guy, Susanna. And um, you just sort of create that um, uh, vortex, you know, that, that, that songs almost come to, uh, come to you because mm-hmm. you're always searching for them. You're always open to them. And because I wasn't a writer, um, I depended on finding other songs. That never bothered me. I, I, I never thought there was something you were less of an artist if you didn't write your own material. Didn't
0: bother Kenny Rogers.
1: No, and <laughs> but I do think that uh, there was a point where I did realize that there were certain songs I wanted to write. I didn't want to depend on it. Um, so um, I think it's good if you can write, but don't this idea that everyone has to write all their own material and what people end up doing, I think is. Getting together and, and, and there's three or four people writing a song, that to me sort of isn't, that's not that kind of song for me. Uh, although I have done some co-writing that I've really enjoyed, but usually it's an excuse to get together with people I really like to spend time with, like Rodney and um, Kate and Anna McGarrigal. We wrote songs together. and uh, So I, I, I did enjoy that.
0: Hey, we're going to take one more break here. We'll be right back. The
1: Musicians' Hall of Fame and Museum has been
0: celebrating
2: the men and women who make the music of our lives since 2006. The Musicians' Hall of Fame is the one and only museum in the world that honors the musicians that played on the greatest recordings of all time.
1: It's a music city, huh? It's, uh, I mean, where else are you going to get the cats? (laughs) All the cats are in this room.
2: From Hank to Hendrix from LA to Nashville. The Musicians Hall of Fame will take you on a musical journey highlighting the talented musicians that created the soundtrack of our lives. Come see what you've heard. And while visiting, check out the interactive Grammy Museum Gallery at the Musicians Hall of Fame. Located in the heart of downtown Nashville in the first floor of the historic Nashville Municipal Auditorium. See you soon at the Musicians Hall
0: of Fame and Museum. Welcome back to Musicians Hall of Fame Backstage with Amy Lou Harris. So um uh, speaking of Brian O'Hearn, yeah. uh, Brian created something that we have here in the museum. Right. And we had a wonderful event right here on this stage with you and the Hot Band. By the way, how did you, how did, who named the Hot Band the Hot Band?
1: You know, I think it was the meeting, um, when they were putting together the idea that they were going to front this band. And Brian was there, Bob Hunker, was a great friend and worked uh, uh, with, with Brian, um, Eddie Tickner. I don't know who exactly came up, but, but somebody was saying, she needs a really hot band. And I think it was almost a joke that, that somehow they said, well, let's just call it the hot band.
0: It worked. And yeah. it worked, yeah. yeah. And they were very hot Well, and the ones that i know that were in it or like james burton is a very yeah. close friend they loved they loved that time of their life
1: it was we had fun i can't tell you i mean people that say they hate going out on the road i i've never understood it I, I mean i i love it it it's it's where i almost feel the most at home being with people as willie said it the life I love is playing music with my friends and and all of the musicians and all the bands I've ever played with. We're still friends. It becomes an extended family. Yeah, it really does.
0: So Brian came up with the idea of a mobile studio. And I, right. I'm not positive if he had the first one or not because I think the Stones have one that they recorded with and Zeppelin did over in England and yeah. Europe. But I think Brian had the first North American one well mobile I, I,
1: studio? I i don't know if they had exactly what he and i mean what he i mean the microphones you know came from the ceilings right. so the that in the little comfort zone as he called it, you could actually record uh without stumbling over chords and all that stuff yeah. he actually had a little room where we we did complete tracks in that room um and a lot of other people did too right yeah uh, yeah I mean he he, he was able to do uh, so many projects there. But no, he created that and um, brought it to, uh, you know, built it in Toronto, had it built in Toronto, and brought it out uh, for, I think, David Rahmler was the first record he did out in L.A., and he was also working on Diane Brooks, because he already had three artists. He was under contract as a producer for three artists, and he kind of signed me as an also you know, because mm-hmm. he, he thought there was something there. That's what I mean. I had people who believed in me. But the truck, uh, um, this way you could make a record anywhere. And um, it just gave you the freedom to have this sort of a compound where, where we were kind of isolated up on this hill uh, off of Coldwater Canyon. And uh, we could live there and work there. And I think it created a kind of a casual situation where, you know, instead of three hours and the musicians are gone, somebody like Glenn D would stay, you know, into the evening and, you know, have a glass of wine and tell stories. And, and it becomes more than just making a, a record. It, you're, you're creating a, a kind of a, a family history together.
0: So for those of you who don't know what this is, it was, and Brian named it the Enactron an Enactron truck, yeah, the Enactron truck. I don't even know. I don't know how he came up with the name. I don't something. know. You had to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> I think he said it was like move because it was movement and futuristic or something. I don't know. Yeah. But so it was. It's an 18-wheeler trailer that, yeah. that he converted into yeah. 40 40-foot. 40 yeah, lead-lined. lead lined. Lead lead line to keep out interference, and lots. And of, it's here. And it's here in the and museum. And it can be seen it, in, this musician, it's in this museum in this museum. Yeah. But. People like Willie did um, Stardust. Uh, Stardust in there, and he, uh, Oh, I he did a wonderful Billy Joe Shaver album. Did he uh, record live with it? Right? Well, not live,
1: but uh, I'm saying uh, in the house where we were, because, uh-huh. you know, people could come and stay there and,
0: and record. So the, yeah. so the trailer, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, the trailer was was a complete studio. You could go out in the oh, middle yeah. of the desert, crank up the generators, and cut an album in the middle of nowhere, right? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then but like in LA, you guys would pull it into a driveway and then the house would become like a studio. The house
1: was the studio.
0: And the the truck then became the control room. The control room, yeah. yeah. And he had he had it set up too where you could have cameras from inside to outside too, so you could see or he could see Oh, I don't know about the cameras. There's screens in there anyway, but but anyway, a lot, a lot of hit records came out of there. And that was probably, was that the bulk of your hits came out of that? Oh, oh yeah,
1: definitely. Those records with Brian. Um, I mean, we we had, I don't know how many chart records, I don't know. But, but we were always hovering. Um, but, you know, for us, it was just the, the, I mean, just find that one song and you just, gotta cut that song, I gotta sing that song. And the excitement of getting the perfect arrangement, you know, the perfect take, and the joy of playing it, you know, back and hearing it, and then being able to go out with those same musicians and, and play it live for an audience, you know, it's... Um, A lot of people don't have that luxury. No, and, and I, you know, I didn't have it forever, but it, but I tell you, having the hot band that first hot band—it set a standard for musicians, and and I have always had great musicians. Um, it, when James had to leave to go back to Elvis, uh, I got Albert Lee, <laughs> and you know he was completely different stylistically, but just another, you know, mighty uh, one of the great guitar yeah. players yeah. of all time. Um, so I I was just really lucky to have. Um, to have these wonderful musicians backing me, because for me I was part of a band. I was this—I was the girl singer and the, the the rhythm guitar player. Although we always had another rhythm guitar player, um, you know, Roddy You know, either Barry Tashen was one, and and Ricky Skaggs, of course. Although he happened to play a little mandolin and fiddle <laughs> too, and sing harmony as well as Rodney and Barry and and Ricky. So. Uh, that was kind of the formula, and um, it, 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 this, this is how I learned to, to make records and and have some confidence in the studio. I never wanted to produce ever. I, I don't know why anybody would, an artist would be crazy enough, to want to produce their own records, it, just because for me the luxury of just having, being able to sing. But give my input and ideas, but not be in control of everything, that's my happy place. And I've been lucky to be able to just have that happy place and not worry about ha- having to be in charge of other things.
0: Well, you know, like, you don't have, I've heard produce, producers say they can, that are engineers too. So I don't want to be the engineer and the producer because yeah. I want to clear my head to just this right. and not have to worry about other things, right. you know. How did you? Um, because just, when I think of you, um, you have an image. That's something a lot of people's hard. a lot of artists don't have an image. And somehow you've created an image. And When I think of you, you know, I think of the way you dress and I think of that big J-200. How did you fall into <laughs> okay, such a Okay, well, big-
1: you know, all right, here's a, another story. Because once, a, I didn't even know that I had an image about dressing. I, I fell into that just because I liked my Acme cowboy boots. That you bought for twenty five dollars right back then, but um, yeah, it was Fred Wallachy who had Westwood Music in L.A. Because uh, I I was playing um, I I had my J fifty but then uh, and then I I I, I got a I was a Gibson girl pretty much a J fifty uh, and then uh, I got a, a country western and uh, but that got uh, that guitar got damaged. It was ultimately repaired, but I thought that it wasn't, and when I got my first five hundred dollars for uh, for working on Graham's record, I bought a um, D- Martin D-28. So, uh, that's basically what I was playing, and Fred uh, Wallachy, just, I don't know whether he, I don't remember whether he actually called me or what it was, because Graham had introduced me to Fred, and we, all musicians knew Fred and loved Fred. He said, I've got a guitar for you. He said, Joe Walsh has just uh, brought in his, sold his, uh, you know, um, his Gibson J200. It has the factory pickups, so you don't use them, but it's there. And Fred just thought that that should be my guitar. And I bought it from him. And basically, that's been... The black I'd, one? No, no, this is this is one that... Um, I had it for a long time. It was, it was stolen and returned to me. <laughs> um, but I actually gave it to Paul Kennerly, because uh, he's just one of the great strummers of all time. And I had stopped taking it on the road after it got stolen, <laughs> and I got it back. Um, so he, he still got that guitar. But I just, and then I moved on to, to I just always play J200s. And it's just, I've, it's funny because um, uh, f- uh, two or three years ago, I tore my rotator cuff and, and couldn't, It's it was just enough of an angle to where it was painful to play the J 200 mm-hmm. while I was in, in, going through physical therapy. So I went to uh, just a, a regular sort of draw it not shape Gibson. And I, you know, I, and I played and played it. And then one night, you know, I was pretty much healed. And I said, I want my J200s back. So, uh, Maple Burn, the wonderful Maple Burn, uh, arranged to to get uh, two Gibsons, uh, one right after the other, right off the factory line. And um, I've been playing those. And it felt, it was like an old friend coming back into my life.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the guitars I had at all. Yeah. They're wonderful guitars. But you just get used to something, and.
0: Like I said, to me, you're not completely dressed until you got that J.T. Well, I
1: feel that way too. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, uh, Linda Ronstadt and Dolly. Yeah. How did all that happen? to mean, that was magic, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was magic. Well, Linda and I became very good friends. Uh, we we met uh, uh, on the road. Uh, I was on the road with Graham, and she was on the road opening for Neil Young. And we converged, (laughs) our tour buses converged in Houston, Texas, one night in February of 1973. And um, we just became fast friends. One of the first things we said to each other was, uh, we sort of said, well, who's your favorite girl singer? And we both said Dolly Parton. And neither of us knew her. I, I think Linda might have met her, but I had not met her. But we didn't really know her. And and so our friendship started on that. And um, and so uh, after things started happening for me, because, you know, I, I Linda was in L.A., I was in L.A. making a record. And, uh, in fact, I had, before I even got a record, I had come out, Linda had brought me out to sing with her at the Roxy, uh, a great friend, incredible friend, one of the most generous people, smartest people you'll ever know, and a great friend. Um, anyway, uh, I had cut uh, I had cut, uh, uh of Many Colors. And I had been to, after that record came out, Brian and I were in um, Nashville for, I guess, the CMA Awards or something. And so the people, Powers of Be, set us up for me to meet Dolly. So I met Dolly. And uh, I guess Dolly, in the uh, a short while later, I guess she was in L.A. Uh, I was, and I and Linda were both living in L.A. And um, they arranged for Dolly. She she come to L.A. And because of meeting her and me cutting that song, uh, she was invited over to where the truck was, Lonnie Lane, where the, tr- the house where we were living in, um, and. I called Linda and said, um, "Dolly's coming over to the house," and uh, she got in her car, and it, so there we were. And there was a guitar, and uh, somebody said, "Well, sing something." And I think we did uh, "Bury Me Beneath the Willow" and "When I Stop Dreaming." And wow, somebody said, I think it was Bob Hunka, you know, "You guys need to make a record." So. Eventually, we did.
0: It's kind of like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young came together that way. Did they? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's, it's people. We all three love to sing harmony. We it, it we might love that almost more than doing, you know, stuff by ourselves. So. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was that was fun. We because uh, you know you don't i love being with my guys on the band on the bus and touring and everything but uh you don't get a lot of time to be with the girlfriends and that's nice that's a, that's a different kind of thing too
0: and dolly i mean who else would you want to hang with
1: she's dolly. one of the funniest people i have ever known she cracks me up she's also a smartest whip
0: yeah, yeah. and and linda i don't know if there's ever been a better singer. I
1: think she's got the greatest voice of our generation. Yeah. Uh, there's no one, there is a sound in her voice that nobody else gets. It's a cry. There's a certain cry uh, in her voice that that it's an instrument that just cannot be... Um, no, no one else has that that instrument that she does, and when she sings a note, um, you know it's 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 Linda. Yeah. Um, but she, boy, she's such a smart musician too. She really. Dolly and I are just kind of duh duh. We know just sing harmony and <laughs> you know, but it's it's Linda who can arrange those beautiful voices on when we did Dolly's song. I mean, when when we did Neil's song. Um, after the gold rush, yeah. Yeah, and and the arranging all those beautiful Helen voices, and the, and the, uh, oh, it, it that was her arrangement all the way. Oddly enough, it was it it was Dolly's idea to do the song.
0: I was going to ask you who thought of that. It was
1: Dolly's idea.
0: Yeah. I just went along. Yeah. I loved it. You know, you sang on one of my songs. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me why, Net. Oh, Beneath a Pain of the painted sky.
1: Been, was it that was your song? That's right. So thrill to sing with
0: Tammy Wynette yeah you know, she had that voice too you know and now
1: she had the little cry in her voice but but this the, there's something in the whole sound the roundness of her of her voice well you know what I'm
0: anybody who's heard her voice knows what I'm talking I about I think she was my, my mentor Billy Sherrill that was his favorite singer yeah well we all loved her and he Billy did one of your no, you did one of Billy's songs. I did too, "Too Far, far Gone." That
1: was Brian's idea. Yeah, I didn't think I sang it well. No, he loved it. And, it? and 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 and, but mm-hmm. I, I I realized it was just a different thing. Uh, like Brian didn't think, particularly want to do Coat of Many Colors" because he thought it was too slow, and and or or it was I don't know what he thought. He wasn't ha- crazy about it, and I wasn't crazy about "Too Far Gone." So another part of our relationship was we respected each other enough to we you just did both yeah
0: and it worked out great so i did an interview with neil when he was here recording prairie wind
1: oh i did yeah i was doing that project
0: that's what i question how did how did that come about that's such a great movie and well record. you know
1: neil i mean i i got i met neil as far back as when brian and i were recording that first record he had me he came to the truck and in that little comfort zone ben keith and neil and i uh stayed up all night i think putting some harmonies on one of his records and there was i think there was a bottle of tequila involved (laughs) and um so um you know and i had done his bridge concerts Mm -hmm. that he's done and uh and uh of course uh on wrecking ball you know we did uh uh we had we we did the song wrecking ball which became the title uh track for the album but also he came in and sang on that song and I was Lucinda Williams song. so so we have co- collaborated on different things over the years and i live in nashville so i guess i, I was an easy phone call I, I i live like what 10 minutes from the ryman but it was it was a wonderful thing to be involved in yes
0: you had something to do with saving the Ryman, didn't you?
1: Well, I'd like to think so. I mean, that's I, mean what I've heard. I do know that um, they were there were definitely plans for it to go because they were going to put the Bell South Building. That's what I heard. But I was only concerned in my next project. I wanted to do a live record of songs that we had not recorded in the studio. I wanted to work up songs with my band, the Nash Ramblers and make the record in front of an audience over a period of three nights. And I was looking for a venue. And it never occurred to me that we could use the Ryman, because it was closed. But at that point, um, Bonnie Garner was working with my manager, Mark Rothbaum. Um, And Mark was up, you know, in in New York, um, and, um, and Bonnie was here in town. And she said, well, why don't I just call the Ryman and see if we can get permission to use the Ryman? which was just brilliant on her part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we could only have 200 people a night, uh, couldn't use the gallery, it wasn't sound. And um, we did it, and it ended up winning a Grammy, and plus it was just some great music by a great bunch of musicians. Um, and the next thing I knew, they weren't gonna tear it down, so you figure, you put the pieces together. Yeah,
0: it had to be, yeah. <laughs> it had of. to be.
1: Yeah. That's so correct. whatever, if I did have something to do with it, so grateful because it's still one of
0: the best sounding venues in the world for making music. I don't think anybody can imagine Nashville without that still being here. Yeah, be yeah. such a loss. You know, Neil said it was like playing inside of a giant acoustic guitar. Yeah, it is because yeah. it's round. You know, there's no corners. Last thing, I, you're you love dogs and you've yeah. got a project here. Do you want to? Well, I
1: I like I'm one of the many uh, independent uh, no-kill rescues in Nashville, but I will say that it's called Bonaparte's Retreat after my dog Bonaparte. Uh, we Bonaparte's Retreat was the first um, independent rescue to go to Metro Animal Control in the days when it's a pretty high euthanasia rate. This was 16 years ago, and to say unofficially, could we partner with you? We wanted. Uh, take dogs. We will pay the fee, but we want you to know that this, they're not going to a home. They're going to a rescue in my backyard, and we will find them homes. And uh, and we still have that relationship with them. In the interim, there have been a lot of uh, uh, maybe three dozen or more uh, independent uh, rescues, um, no kill, or they're called um, that so that Nashville is hopefully on its way to becoming a, a no-kill city. Um, it, it's made incredible progress. I mean, Metro Animal Control is uh, down to uh, almost the single digits in euthanasia, but I almost feel like as long as one dog or cat is is euthanized, not for health reasons or whatever, but because there's no room for it in anyone's home, that's one too many, yeah. and I think we can get there. but um, it's been an extraordinary part of my life to bring my love of animals. My father, you know, was studying veterinary medicine when World War II broke out. Yep. And he uh, quit uh, University of Virginia to join the Marine Corps where he met my mother. <laughs> so there's a lot of full circle yeah. stuff going there. All my family, aunts, uncles, uh, really uh, loved animals. And they. I think you have to have that instilled in you. From a child yeah. it almost, although I do think that people um, even if they've never had a pet into their adult years, if they would take a chance, they would see that it would change their lives for the better in a way that they, they could have never imagined.
0: Oh, well, they use it with uh, the soldiers coming back, you know they... oh they, they,
1: they are a gift to us in so many ways they heal us, they can truly heal us on, on our external wounds, our internal wounds and just make life better just because it's a great way to get up in the morning. Yeah.
0: Well, this is a great way to, for me to end the day, and so thank you so much for <laughs> thank coming Thank you, Joe. You're, you're I, I
1: love what you've done here. I think people uh, need to know about the the Musicians Hall of Fame uh, because there's there's so much uh, going on here. There's so much to see. And, and, and you're celebrating uh, a lot of things and people that maybe hadn't been celebrated
0: before and certainly need to be so thank you thank you come back and see us next time on musicians hall of fame backslash